Well, greetings again, Gary Zacharias with The Apologist Bookshelf. Uh, For this podcast, I want to dip back into a book that I covered in my first 100 podcasts, uh, probably the most famous apologetics book. Uh, They made a movie out of it called The Case for Christ, Lee Strobel. And uh, so I've talked about him. I've talked about this book before. I want to start off with chapter one, The Eyewitness Evidence. And the subtitle is, Can the Biographies of Jesus Be Trusted? I mean, that's huge, isn't it? If, if we've got uh, things written by people hundreds of years later, how do we really know that any of the things talked about really happen? So uh, do we have testimony of people who really interacted with Jesus, who sat under his teachings, who saw the miracles, and maybe even encountered him after his resurrection? Are there any first-century journalists like Lee Strobel is who interviewed eyewitnesses or asked tough questions? I mean, how, how do we know? So for this, you know the whole uh, way that he works this book, The Case for Christ, he goes to different experts. So for this chapter, he went to Dr. Craig Blomberg, who wrote The Historical Reliability of the Gospels. And Blomberg's got some great books, too, that I'll probably try to cover a little bit later. Uh, He's one of the country's foremost authorities on the biographies of Jesus. That's the Gospels, the four Gospels. Um, I won't give his whole background because I want to get to the uh, thoughts that he uh, has to share with Strobel. So the first question, pretty obvious question, huh? Were the four Gospels that we have, were they written by the people whose names have been attached to them? In other words, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, Are these legit people that we can associate with these four Gospels, or were those names attached a long time later? And Blomberg says the uniform testimony of the church was that Matthew was the author of the first gospel, that John Mark, who was a companion of Peter, was the author of the gospel that we call Mark, and that Luke, known as Paul's beloved physician, wrote two books there, the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. He said there just was no dispute for a long, long, long time. And then Blomberg says, kind of interesting, he said these are actually unlikely characters, Why? Well, think about Mark and Luke. They weren't among the 12 disciples. Now, Matthew was, but his occupation was tax collector. Well, people didn't like tax collector. He would be really considered uh, infamous during that time. And then Blomberg says, now think about those people and then compare that with what happened with the apocryphal gospels that were written much, much later. They were written by, quote, Philip and Peter and Mary and James. Okay, but that was fictitious because those people were long dead. But notice they picked the names that they thought would associate well with Christianity. They chose well-known and exemplary figures. He says uh, there wouldn't be any reason to attribute the authorship to Matthew, Mark, and Luke unless it was uh, true. But of course, then Strobel says, yeah, but what about John? Because you haven't mentioned John yet. And Blomberg concedes that John is the only gospel that there is a bit of a question about the authorship. So why is that? He says, well, there's a Christian writer named Papias, about 125 AD, and in his testimony, he refers to John the Apostle, but he also refers to John the Elder. And I guess people can't tell from the context whether he's talking about one person from two perspectives or maybe two different people. But he says, you know, if you grant that exception, the the rest of the early testimony is unanimous. It was John the Apostle, the son of Zebedee, who wrote that gospel. So that's just that one uh, outlier there that makes people wonder. He said, actually, if you read the gospel closely, too, you're going to find that 
probably its concluding verses may have been finalized by an editor. And Blomberg says, I don't, I don't have any problem believing that somebody closely associated with John may have functioned in that role, uh, that role, putting those last verses into some kind of shape. But he said, the gospel itself is based on eyewitness material, as are the other three gospels. So, Strobel says, let's go back. Let's go into specifics here. Let's take up Matthew, Mark, and Luke. How do you know they were the authors? Blomberg says, well, let's go back to Papias again. About 125 AD, he specifically affirmed that Mark was a careful and accurate uh, recorder of what Peter observed, eyewitness observations. And Papias said Matthew preserved the teachings of Jesus as well. Then we come up to about 180 AD, and Blomberg mentions Irenaeus, and he confirmed the traditional authorship. And here's a short quote. This is what Irenaeus said, about 180. Matthew published his own gospel. And then later on after uh, da, 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 Mark, the disciple and interpreter of Peter himself, handed down to us in writing the substance of Peter's preaching. And he says, Luke, the follower of Paul, sat down, sat down in a book, the gospel preached by his teacher. Then John... The disciple of the Lord, who also leaned on his breast, himself produced his gospel while he was living at Ephesus. So he said, the events they record are based on either direct or indirect eyewitness testimony. That's exactly what Blomberg says. Well, then Strobel brings up the idea of the differences between modern biographies and these ancient biographies. Strobel said, well, look at the book of Mark. He doesn't even talk about the birth of Jesus or really anything right through Jesus' early adult years. He, he just focuses on a three-year period, then he spends half his gospel on the last week of Jesus' life. How do you explain that? Why don't we get information in any earlier part of Jesus' life? And Blomberg says, well, first of all, there's a literary reason. That's just how people wrote biographies in the ancient world. They'd, they didn't have the idea that they had to give equal proportion to all periods of an individual's life, or that you had to tell it in chronological order. Or you had to quote people verbatim, just as long as you got across the essence of what the person said. That was good enough. He says, actually, Greek and Hebrew didn't even have a symbol for quotation marks. So he said, the idea was, when you wrote biographies in the ancient world, you were, you were putting out lessons to be learned from these characters. So they wanted to dwell on the portions of the person's life that gave you their character in action, right? Dwelling on their lives and how that could help other people and give meaning to other people. So he says, you know, Christians believe that Jesus' life was wonderful, of course, but all of that was meaningless if it wasn't historically accurate that Christ died and was raised from the dead. So what does Mark do? He devotes half his narrative to the events that lead up and include that last week of Jesus' life and culminating in the death and resurrection because that was the heart, that was the, the whole meaning of Jesus. Well, Strobel covers, and I'm not going to mention much of this, but he, the, the mystery of something called Q. Scholars often think there may have been a, an earlier source that Matthew and, and Luke drew from. And, and Blomberg says that's just a hypothesis, and it's just sayings of Jesus. And he says, actually, if you look at those Q sayings, supposedly sayings from Q, you get the same kind of picture of Jesus. He makes audacious claims about himself. There's no narrative in there. It's just a list of sayings. Well, then uh, Strobel says, well, why would Matthew, who's supposed to be an eyewitness, why would he use part of Mark? And everybody knows Mark was not an eyewitness. And Blomberg says, well, 
That only makes sense if Mark was basing his account of another eyewitness, Peter. And he was part of the inner circle, so Matthew would have wanted to know some of that for sure. So the conclusion there is that, of course, Matthew had his own recollections, being a disciple, but he wanted accuracy, and so he wanted the inner circle. He wanted to hear from Peter, what Peter saw and experienced. Okay, next section of this chapter deals with what's called the unique perspective of John. And uh, the three other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, are called the synoptics, which means they look the same way. But John is different. And uh, Blomberg said, well, it's true. It's more different than similar to the synoptics. He says, actually, only a handful of the major stories in the other three show up in John. And there's actually a different linguistic style. Uh, There seems to be a higher Christology. There's more direct claims that Jesus is one with the Father, that he's God. And uh, he said some people believe that John, if he wrote later, he already knew what Matthew, Mark, and Luke had written, so he saw no need to repeat it. That's part of it. But he said also John was just independent from the other three Gospels. So now uh, Strobel says, well, what's going on here? He said Jesus makes all these claims of deity in John, but does he do it in the synoptics? And Blomberg says, yeah. He said, take a look at Matthew 14 and Mark 6. Jesus, uh, it's actually, I'll, I'll get more specific here, Matthew 14, 22 to 33, and Mark 6, 45 to 52. And it says, the Greek, the way they word it is, Jesus says, fear not, it is I. But Blomberg says, actually, Greek literally here says, fear not, I am. And that's what Jesus says in John 8, 58. So he's taking on that name, I am, which is, takes us back to Exodus 3.14, where Moses asks God who he is, and God says, I am. So Strobel says, okay, that's one example. Do you have any others where the three synoptics actually make a reference to Jesus' deity? And he says, yes. How about the uh, place, the, the fact that Jesus over and over refers to himself as son of man? And Strobel says, well, isn't that just emphasizing the weakness and mortality of his human condition? Blomberg says, no, Son of Man doesn't refer to Jesus' humanity. It's a direct allusion to Daniel 7. And in there it says, before me was one like a Son of Man. It's a vision. And the Son of Man, it says, approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. He says, that's a title of great exaltation. This is not mere humanity. And uh, William Lane Craig echoed that. He says, Son of Man was a divine figure who had come at the end of the world to judge mankind and rule forever. So that's a claim to divinity. Blomberg goes on. What else do we get in the Synoptic Gospels that indicate Jesus' divinity? He says, Jesus claims to forgive sins. That's something only God can do. Jesus accepts prayer and worship. Jesus says, whoever acknowledges me, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Final judgment is based on Jesus. It's based on the reaction of Jesus as God. Well, okay, so that's, uh, I think that's a really useful section there. What about New Testament as legend? Uh, How late are these uh, four books? And he picks up a book by a woman, Armstrong, History of God, and she says, we know very little about Jesus. Mark's gospel wasn't written in around the year 70, 40 years after his death. 
By that time, historical facts have been overlaid with mythical elements. So there's the question. Some scholars believe the Gospels were so far away that legend intervened and distorted, so we don't really know what Jesus said. So Blomberg replies to that. He said, you know, <clears throat> even if you give the standard dating, this is in liberal circles, it'd be Mark in the 70s, Matthew and Luke in the 80s, John in the 90s. But Blomberg says, you know, that's still within lifetimes of various eyewitnesses, including those who were hostile, who could have said, no, no, that's not what really happened. He gives, a, gives a, a, a contrast, the two earliest biographies of Alexander the Great. They were written more than 400 years, but historians consider them to be trustworthy, even with 400 years after Alexander's death. So he says the, the story of Alexander stayed pretty much intact. But Blomberg says, I think these uh, Gospels are actually written earlier. He said, yeah, here's an example. He said, look at the book of Acts, written by Luke. It ends unfinished. Paul is under house arrest. He's still alive. And then the book just chops off. What happened to Paul? Well, the Paul, uh, Paul was uh, still alive. So the book was probably written before he got put to death. Well, that means that Acts can't be dated really any later than 62. Then you start going backwards from that. Luke wrote Acts, but then earlier than that, he wrote the gospel. That would have to be earlier. And then Luke incorporates parts of the gospel of Mark. That means Mark is even earlier. So he said you end up with Mark maybe around 60 AD, maybe even the late 50s. But he says you can even go back further than that. He says you can find out about Jesus' atonement or his resurrection and his association with God if you go back to the letters of Paul. Now the Gospels were actually written after almost all the letters of Paul. Most of the letters were in the 50s. And what do we find in there according to Blomberg? Paul incorporated some creeds confessions of faith or hymns from the earliest Christian church. They go way back within a couple of years of the resurrection. He gives some examples. Philippians 2, 6 through 11 talks about Jesus being in very nature God. He mentions Colossians 1, 15 to 20, which says uh, God is the uh, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He created everything and that he made peace through his blood shed on the cross. But he says, you know, the one that he likes the most, the one that he thinks is maybe the most important creed as far as tying into the historical Jesus is found in the first few verses of 1 Corinthians 15. He says, uh, Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He raised on the third day. He appeared to Peter, then to the 12, then to 500, etc., etc. He says, here's the point. If the crucifixion was around 30 AD, Paul was converted about 32 he met with the apostles in Jerusalem around 35, and somewhere right around there, he was given this creed, which was already being used. So it's earlier than 35 AD. So he said, here you have all this key information about Jesus' death for our sins and a list of people that he appeared to in resurrected form. All of these go back within two to five years of the events themselves. So he says a good case could be made for saying that the Christian belief in the resurrection, even though it hadn't been written down, can be dated within two years of the event within two years. So I think that's really powerful information. I like Blomberg. I like the way Lee Strobel has set up this book of uh, interviews of some really good uh, thinkers. So again, I was using The Case for Christ, Lee Strobel's book, and thank you for listening, and uh, we'll do another podcast soon.